0: The Boats of the Glen Carrig by William Hope Hodgson Being an account of their adventures in the strange places of the earth after the foundering of the good ship Glen Carrig through striking upon a hidden rock in the unknown seas to the southward as told by John Winterstraw, Gentleman to his son James Winterstraw in the year 1757, and by him committed very properly and legibly to manuscript. Chapter 3 The Thing That Made Search Now, at times, I fell upon sleep, as did most of the others, but for the most part I lay half sleeping and half waking, being unable to attain to true sleep by reason of the everlasting growling above us in the night and the fear which it bred in me. Thus it chanced that just after midnight I caught a sound in the main cabin beyond the door, and immediately I was fully waked, I sat me up and listened, and so became aware that something was fumbling about the deck of the main cabin. At that I got to my feet and made my way where the bosun lay, meaning to waken him if he slept, but he caught me by the ankle as I stooped to shake him and whispered to me to keep silence, for he too had been aware of that strange noise of something fumbling beyond in the big cabin." a little we crept both of us so close to the door as the chests would allow, and there we crouched, listening, but could not tell what manner of thing it might be which produced so strange a noise. For it was neither shuffling nor treading of any kind, nor yet was it the whir of a bat's wings, the which had first occurred to me, knowing how vampires are said to inhabit the nights in dismal places." nor yet was it the slur of a snake, but rather it seemed to us to be as though a great wet cloth were being rubbed everywhere across the floor and bulkheads. We were the better able to be certain the truth of this likeness, when suddenly it passed across the further side of the door behind which we listened, at which, you may be sure, we drew backwards, both of us in fright, though the door and the chests stood between us and that which rubbed against it. Presently the sound ceased, and listen as we might, we could no longer distinguish it. Yet until the morning we dozed no more, being troubled in mind as to what manner of thing it was which had made search in the big cabin. Then in time the day came, and the growling ceased, for a mournful while the sad crying filled our ears, and then at last the eternal silence that fills the day hours of that dismal land fell upon us. So, being at last in quietness, we slept, being greatly a about seven in the morning the boatswain waked me, and I found that they had opened the door into the big cabin. But though the boatswain and I made careful search, we could nowhere come upon anything to tell us aught concerning the thing which had put us so in fright. Yet I know not if I am right in saying that we came upon nothing, for in several places the bulkheads had a chafed look. But whether this had been there before that night, we had no means of telling. Of that which we had heard, the boatswain bade me make no mention, for he would not have the men put more in fear than need be. This I conceived to be wisdom, and so held my peace. Yet I was much troubled in my mind to know what manner of thing it was, which we had need to fear, and more I desired greatly to know whether we should be free of it in the daylight hours, for there was always with me, as I went hither and thither, the thought that it, for that is how I designated it in my mind, might come upon us to our destruction. Now, after breakfast, at which we had each a portion of salt pork, besides rum and biscuit, for by now the fire in the caboose had been set going, we turned to at various matters under the directing of the boatswain. Josh and two of the men made examination of the water casks, and the rest of us lifted the main hatch covers to make inspection of her cargo, but lo, we found nothing save some three feet of water in her hold. By this time Josh had drawn some water off from the casks, but it was most unsuitable for drinking, being vile of smell and taste. Yet the bosun bade him draw some into buckets so that the air might haply purify it, but though this was done and the water allowed to stand through the morning, it was but little better. At this, as might be imagined, we were exercised in our minds as to the manner in which we should come upon suitable water, for by now we were beginning to be in need of it. Yet though one said one thing, and another said another, no one had wit enough to call to mind any method by which our need should be satisfied. Then when we had made an end of dining, the boatswain set Josh, with four of the men, upstream, "'Perchance after a mile or two the water should prove of sufficient freshness to meet our purpose. "'Yet they returned a little before sundown having no water, for everywhere it was salt.' Now the boatswain, foreseeing that it might be impossible to come upon water, had set the man whom he had ordained to be our cook to boiling the creek water in three great kettles. This he had ordered to be done soon after the boat left, and over the spout of each he had hung a great pot of iron, filled with cold water from the hold, this being cooler than that from the creek so that the steam from each kettle impinged upon the cold surface of the iron pots, and being, by this means condensed, was caught in three buckets placed beneath them upon the floor of the caboose. In this way enough water was collected to supply us for the evening and the following morning, yet it was but a slow method, and we had sore need of a speedier, were we to leave the hulk so soon as I, for one, desired. We made our supper before sunset so as to be free of the crying which we had reason to expect. After that, the boatswain shut the scuttle, and we went every one of us into the captain's cabin, after which we barred the door, as on the previous night, and well was it for us that we acted with this prudence. By the time that we had come into the captain's cabin and secured the door, it was upon sunsetting, and as the dusk came on, so did the melancholy wailing pass over the land. Yet, being by now somewhat inured to so much strangeness, we lit our pipes and smoked, though I observed that none talked, for the crying without was not to be forgotten. Now, as I have said, we kept silence, but this was only for a time, and our reason for breaking it was a discovery made by George, the younger apprentice. This lad, being no smoker, was fain to do something to while away the time, and with this intent he had raked out the contents of a small box which had lain upon the deck at the side of the forward bulkhead. The box had appeared filled with odd small lumber, of which a part was a dozen or so gray paper wrappers, such as are used, I believe, for carrying samples of corn, though I have seen them put to other purposes, as indeed was now the case. At first George had tossed these aside, but it growing darker, the boatswain lit one of the candles which we had found in the lazarette. Thus George, who was proceeding to tidy back the rubbish which was cumbering the place, discovered something which caused him to cry out to us his astonishment. Now, upon hearing George call out, the boatswain bade him keep silence, thinking it was but a piece of boyish restlessness. But George drew the candle to him and bade us to listen, for the wrappers were covered with fine handwriting after the fashion of a woman's. Even as George told us that which he had found, we became aware that the night was upon us, for suddenly the crying ceased, and in place thereof there came out of the far distance the low thunder of the night growling that had tormented us through the past two nights. For a space we ceased to smoke, and sat listening, for it was a very fearsome sound, In a very little while it seemed to surround the ship as on the previous nights, but at length, using ourselves to it, we resumed our smoking, and bade George to read out to us from the writing upon the paper wrappers. Then George, though shaking somewhat in his voice, began to decipher that which was upon the wrappers, and a strange and awesome story it was, and bearing much upon our own concerns.
1: Now, when they discovered the spring among the trees that crowned the bank, there was much rejoicing, for we had come to have much need of water, and some, being in fear of the ship, declaring because of all our misfortune and the strange disappearance of their messmates and the brother of my lover that she was haunted by a devil, declared their intention of taking their gear up to the spring and there making a camp. This they conceived and carried out in the space of one afternoon, though our captain, a good and true man, begged of them, as they valued life, to stay within the shelter of their living place. Yet, as I have remarked, they would none of them hark to his counselling, and because the mate and the boatswain were gone, he had no means of compelling them to wisdom.
0: this point George ceased to read, and began to rustle among the wrappers, as though in search for the continuation of the story. Presently he cried out that he could not find it, and dismay was upon his face. But the boatswain told him to read on from such sheets as were left, for, as he observed, we had no knowledge if more existed, and we were fain to know further of that spring, which from the story appeared to be over the bank near to the vessel. George, being thus adjured, picked up the topmost sheet, for they were, as I heard him explain to the boatswain, all oddly numbered, and having but little reference one to the other. Yet we were mightily keen to know even so much as odd scraps might tell unto us. Whereupon George read from the next wrapper, which ran
1: thus, Now suddenly, I heard the captain cry out that there was something in the main cabin, and immediately my lover's voice calling to me to lock my door, and on no condition to open it. Then the door of the captain's cabin slammed, and there came a silence, and the silence was broken by a sound. Now, this was the first time that I had heard the thing make search through the big cabin, but afterwards, my lover told me it had happened aforetime and they had told me not, fearing to frighten me needlessly, though now I understood why my lover had bidden me never to leave my stateroom door unbolted in the night-time. I remember also wondering if the noise of breaking glass that had waked me somewhat from my dreams a night or two previously had been the work of this indescribable thing, for on the morning following that night the glass and the skylight had been smashed, Thus it was that my thoughts wandered out to trifles, while yet my soul seemed ready to leap out from my bosom with fright. I had, by reason of usage, come to ability to sleep despite of the fearsome growling, for I had conceived its cause to be the mutter of spirits in the night, and had not allowed myself to be unnecessarily frightened with doleful thoughts, My lover had assured me of our safety, and that we should yet come to our home, and now, beyond my door, I could hear that fearsome sound of the thing searching."
0: George came to a sudden pause, for the boatswain had risen and put a great hand upon his shoulder. The lad made to speak. But the boatswain beckoned to him to say no word, and at that we, who had grown to nervousness through the happenings in the story, began everyone to listen. Thus we heard a sound which had escaped us in the noise of the growling without the vessel and the interest of the reading. For a space we kept very silent, no man doing more than letting the breath go in and out of his body, and so each one of us knew that something moved without, "'in the big cabin. "'In a little, something touched upon our door, "'and it was, as I have mentioned earlier, "'as though a great swab rubbed and scrubbed at the woodwork. "'At this, the men nearest unto the door "'came backwards in a surge, "'being put in sudden fear "'by reason of the thing being so near. "'But the boatswain held up a hand, "'bidding them in a low voice "'to make no unneedful noise.' yet, as though the sounds of their moving had been heard, the door was shaken with such violence that we waited, everyone, expecting to see it torn from its hinges. But it stood, and we hastened to brace it by means of the bunk boards, which we placed between it and the two great chests, and upon these we set a third chest, so that the door was quite hid. Now I have no remembrance whether I have put down that when we came first to the ship, we had found the stern window upon the larboard side to be shattered. But so it was, and the boatswain had closed it by means of a teak-wood cover, which was made to go over it in stormy weather, with stout battens across, which were set tight with wedges. This he had done upon the first night, having fear that some evil thing might come upon us through the opening, and very prudent was this same action of his, as shall be seen. Then George cried out that something was at the cover of the larboard window, and we stood back growing ever more fearful, because that some evil creature was so eager to come at us. But the bosun, who was a very courageous man and calm withal, walked over to the closed window and saw to it that the battens were secure, For he had knowledge sufficient to be sure, if this were so, that no creature with strength less than that of a whale could break it down, and in such case its bulk would assure us from being molested. Then, even as he made sure of the fastenings, there came a cry of fear from some of the men, for there had come at the glass of the unbroken window a reddish mass which plunged up against it, "'sucking upon it, as it were. "'Then Josh, who was nearest to the table, "'caught up the candle and held it towards the thing. "'Thus I saw that it had the appearance of a many-flapped thing, "'shaped, as it might be, out of raw beef. "'But it was alive. "'At this we stared.' everyone being too bemused with terror to do aught to protect ourselves, even had we been possessed of weapons, and as we remained thus, an instant like silly sheep awaiting the butcher, I heard the framework creak and crack, and there ran splits all across the glass. In another moment the whole thing would have been torn away and the cabin undefended, but that the boatswain, with a great curse at us for our land-lubberly lack of use, seized the other cover and clapped it over the window. At that there was more help than could be made to avail, and the battens and wedges were in place in a trice. That this was no sooner accomplished than need be, we had immediate proof, for there came a rending of wood and a splintering of glass, and after that a strange yowling out in the dark, and the yowling rose above and drowned the continuous growling that filled the night. In a little, it died away, and in the brief silence that seemed to ensue, we heard a slobby fumbling at the teak cover, but it was well secured, and we had no immediate cause for fear. You've been listening to The Boats of the Glen Carrig" by William Hope Hodgson, read by Paul R. Potts. This audio recording is made available under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Share Alike 2.5 license. Find out more at creativecommons.org. Links for the project can be found at thepottshouse.org. Music for Chapter 3 is by Cordell Clear from the album Emissary. This work is available from darkwinter.com. Sound effects are taken from the album Thaw, field recordings from Minnesota, available at wanderingear.com.